We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. All right, it is my privilege, amen, to introduce our guest speaker today. And he's not just a guest of the house, but he's also uh, attends with us regularly. Him and his wife participate. Uh, Calvin Ross became the police chief of uh, Florida A&M University in 2001 and served in that position for 11 years. Ross began his lengthy law enforcement career in 1967 in the Air Force, and in 1971, he joined the Miami Police Department, where he served 23 years, rising through the ranks from officer to sergeant to lieutenant to major to assistant chief, and finally chief of police of Miami in 1991. I bet y'all didn't know you had the chief of police of Miami in, in your midst, did you? Amen. In June 1994, Ross was appointed to the late Governor Lawton Childs to head the newly created Florida Department of Juvenile Justice and the first secretary for Florida's newest criminal justice agency. Amen. My goodness. Ross is a criminal justice graduate from Biscayne College in Miami and is also a graduate of the prestigious FBI Academy in Quantico, Virginia. He and his wife of 36 years, Carmela, have four children and two grandchildren. Praise God. It is my pleasure to bring Brother Ross to the stage and and let him bring the Word of God to us. There, I think I'm on. Morning Christian Heritage. Praise God. It's a joy and a privilege to be here, and I give honor to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ uh, for this opportunity this morning. And I want to thank Pastor Steve and uh, First Lady Yvonne for uh, allowing me to have this opportunity to speak to you. And I, I, I ask that we continue to pray for them as they're on this trip and having a little time of respite that they will have a safe trip and a safe return. Some time ago, or I should say just maybe at the turn of the new year, um, at the first message that the pastor preached for those that were here, he reminded us of how precious time is. He reminded us that time is probably the most precious commodity that we have and how fleeting time is. He also reminded us that for 19, or 19, I'm predating myself, for 2017, we have but 8,760 hours in this year. That doesn't seem like a whole lot, but when it's gone, it's gone. He also reminded us of the fact that if time could be sold, it would be the most expensive or most precious Um, item on the planet. But that 8,760 hours, as of this hour, we have already used 347 of those hours. I mean, time is fleeting. And for for the mathematicians in the the audience, that equates to 20,820 minutes. Or 1,249,200 seconds. 201, 202. I mean, time is moving on. And it's constantly moving on. And I think that when I I think about time, I think about how 
good God is that he created time before the foundation of the world. God created time, so therefore time has no control over him. But he controls time. Out of his great love and mercy, he created time. And just as um, uh, time has no control over him, and just as time or God transcends time, his love and his mercy transcends time and it's unchanged from before the foundation of the world up until now, his love remains the same. So today I want to talk to you about that unchanging love of God. And I, um, I, I oftentimes find it very difficult to comprehend the immeasurable uh, love of God. And I, I just want us to, to concentrate on uh, God's love this morning. We, we know that God is love. We hear so much about God's love. But do we really know what God's love is all about? God's love is just unfathomable. We can't really comprehend it. Um, this being Martin Luther King uh, Jr. weekend, uh, he once said this. He said, every genuine expression of love grows out of a consistent and total surrender to God. And he spoke so often about love, but I think that if we understand that, that love grows out of a total and consistent surrender to God. Now before getting into the message, let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to thank you for the opportunity that you've given us. We want to thank you for another day, for you have given us time, time and time again to, to worship, to praise your name. And I want to thank you for the opportunity to speak this morning. And I ask that you use this vessel of clay that you may bless us with your word. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. You know, the importance of time when we think about it is that you have taken, you and I have taken some of our precious time to assemble ourselves here in this sanctuary this morning to worship and praise God. I could think of no better use of time than to isolate time that we have to worship and praise God. One scripture that oftentimes is quoted by children and adults alike, I think speaks volumes about the love of God. And we don't really need to read it. We can actually all quote it together. It's that very familiar verse or passage of scripture found in John 3.16. And if you will, quote that scripture with me this morning. Where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believe in him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There is so much included in that passage of scripture when we actually think about it, that you can, 
You can, you can look at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and it's all included in that passage of scripture. And we so often um, quote that, that we just kind of gloss over it. But there is a lot there, you see, because God didn't just say, just the righteous. He didn't say, uh, uh, for those who love him, but he said, whosoever. And he loved the world. That include everyone here, everyone under the sound of my voice, everyone around the world. He loved the world. That's an amazing, an amazing love to me. Um, as a young Christian, I remember when I really was introduced to the amazing grace of God. I know this might sound kind of corny, but this was, this was me. This was my experience. And I was in church. And while I was in church, I looked to the front, up to the front of the church, and I saw this beautiful, angelic-looking young lady. And I said to myself, I said, wow. Now that's God's grace. <laughs> I, I said, that's God's grace to me. And, 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 and being a believer of the fact that if you snooze, you lose. Well, it wasn't long before I had gotten to know her and we were out on our first date. And being on our first date, I later came to realize that I almost lost her on that first date. So we had gone out to this little donut shop. We're at a little donut shop and I'm sitting at the table and I'm looking across my coffee and donuts and looking directly into her eyes. And I said to her, I said to her in, in my most sexy <laughs> Billy D. Williams voice, I said, because I wasn't going to lose her. I said, you know what? I am just crazy about you. And she looked real startled when I said that. And I didn't understand it, but I later came to realize that since she had only been in the United States for like a few months, or a few weeks actually, that she didn't translate what I was saying. Her first language is Spanish and she didn't really translate what I was saying exactly. And what I found out that she thought that I said, you know what? Estoy realmente loco. <laughs> which, which translated means, you know, I'm really crazy. And, 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 and I found out that her startled look, she was looking around looking for a way to get out of there. She said that she was looking for a side door, a back door. She said, this guy is crazy. But she wasn't going to run from me because I was a police officer and I had a gun. So she thought, I can't run. I wouldn't have allowed her to run away anyway, but we both were young Christians. As time went on, she fell in love with me. I mean, I was already in love with her, crazy, loco and all, but she, she fell in love with me. And both of us as young Christians were soon to learn of God's extended mercy and grace toward the both of us. I learned that she had a severe heart problem. 
severe heart condition. In fact, cardiologists had advised both she and her mother that um, if she didn't have the heart condition corrected, that she probably would not live a complete life. And that her life would not be pleasant with the heart condition that she had. Well, I had an answer for that. That's no problem. Let's just get it done. Let's get it fixed. We were soon married. And after we were married, we sought the advice of several cardiologists about her heart condition. And about all of them suggested, yes, you need to get this corrected. And at that time, we prayed continuously about the situation. The cardiologists also informed us, they said, if you're thinking about having children, you may want to consider adopting. They said because she would not be able to make it through a pregnancy with this heart. She just cannot do it. So fast forwarding, 10 years later, there we sat, 10 years later, we had had no children and we had not adopted, as beautiful as adopting is, we had not adopted and consequently we had not done anything with the heart. And one morning she came to me and she says, Calvin, I want you to know that I'm pregnant. I was excited, but I was also scared to death. I didn't know what to do, but we prayed. We prayed and we prayed and we asked God to show us his mercy, to show us his grace. Um, abortion was never a consideration for us. And it came time for her to deliver and she delivered under the watchful eye of a high-risk obstetrician and a cardiologist along with the other staff there. And I sat there watching the blood pressure machine during the delivery. I'm here to tell you that during that delivery, her blood pressure remained normal throughout the entire process. Praise God. Now, some 26 years later from that date, and four children later, <laughs> she lives on God's grace and mercy with the same heart. Praise God. And in fact, when she was two months pregnant with the fourth child, a, um, a new cardiologist called us in for consultation. He said, listen, I don't know who told you that you should get pregnant, but I'm here to tell you that you will not survive this pregnancy. He said, I just suggest that you abort this baby. And then he looked at me and at her and I quote him, he said, either she will die, the baby will die, or both of them. And he said, and I'm not willing to take that risk. So as our cardiologist, he was essentially telling us, I can't go through with this with you. He left us and we, we were very stunned, but we were kind of confused as to what we should do. We prayed and we prayed. We said, you know, Lord, we don't want to abort. But at the same point in time, I don't want to lose my wife. We've been told by the professional that this could happen. I didn't want to see that happen, you see. But 
And even though this is not an indictment of the medical profession, because I believe that our doctors and our surgeons are in place as an extension of God's hand for those that are in need of healing, those that are in need of care. I believe God has them in place for that very reason. But we prayed about it. And during the prayer, God spoke to my wife's heart and he said, I will sustain you until the very end. Well, she told me that and she said, this is what I feel in my spirit. God has said, do you stand with me on that? I said, listen, if God told you that, who am I? In, in addition to that, she said, and he's confirmed it to me with a passage of scripture. And it's found in Psalm 73. Put that scripture up there. Psalms, the 70, Psalms 73, the 25th and 26th verse. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. When he confirmed that with her, we took that word heart to mean her actual physical failing heart. And we said, God has spoken to you and he's given you his word. What more do we need? Let's stand on that. And I tell you now that that particular child is 17 years old and graduating high school this year. <laughs> Praise God. And four days a week, at least four, sometimes five, four days a week, my wife is at the gym where she swims freestyle for about an hour. She gets out of the pool and then she's on the treadmill for another 12 miles of running and uh, walking. And then she gets on the stationary bike for another eight miles. Let me tell you, she told me that. I, I, I'm not at the gym, okay? She's at the gym. That's not my thing, but that's her. But after the fourth child and after that uh, scripture that God gave her in his word, she wrote a song. And the song she wrote is titled, Whom Do I Have? And I've asked her to sing that song uh, for us this morning. And so, uh, Carmela.
Now, the very familiar passage of Scripture, popular passage, is found in Psalms 23. And we pick it up at the fourth verse. It reads, we'll put that Scripture up there. It reads, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close besides me. Your rod and your staff, they protect me and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely, your goodness, your grace, your unfailing love, your mercy will follow me or pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I believe as David penned that, I believe as he um, said, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies during the battle you are already laying out a feast and a celebration of the victory. I mean, while we're in the middle of our troubles and our trials, God has already got the answer. He already has it in place. He already knows that the victory is there. All we have to do is walk in the victory. It's already there. He's laying out a table of celebration for you because the victory is already won. You see, I believe that when we look at David, who penned most of the psalm, when we look at David's life, he expresses it. We see in uh, his life where he, as a little shepherd boy, followed or took care of his father's sheep. 
He tells us that, listen, a bear and a lion came upon them to attack them. He said, but I killed the bear. I killed the lion. You see, he knew that God's goodness and mercy was right there with him. There was no reason to fear. How many of us had had to face a bear and a lion? Maybe in some other form, but just know that God's goodness and mercy is there with us. We see him as he was anointed by Samuel to be king of Israel. We see him because he was under God's goodness and mercy. He went out to battle against Goliath, the giant Philistine, who dared to defy the armies of the living God. But little David stood out and said, I will take him on. And with nothing more than a sling and a stone, he defeated Goliath because he knew that God's goodness and his mercy was right there following him. We see him when he returned from battles with Saul. And along with Saul, the people cheered. And they cheered that, you know, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. You know, we see him because he wasn't prideful. He just knew that God's goodness and his mercy is following me. Everywhere I go. We see him when Saul became jealous and flew into a jealous rage because David was getting more credit than him. You see, and Saul did all sorts of things to destroy uh, David. But God's goodness and mercy protected him. He was hiding in caves from his enemy. Goodness and mercy was there. And even though... When he became king, he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then tried to hide it or cover it up by having her husband placed at the head of the battle so that he would be killed and he was killed. But David turned his face to the Lord and repented. God's goodness and mercy was there to forgive him and to restore him to a place where God could use him. David loved God and God loved David and God said, I have found David the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart. Can God say that about us today? Do we take time to honor God? Even when we step out of line, do we repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Listen, his grace and his mercy is there. I believe that every time David looked over his shoulder, shoulder when he went into battle, he saw God's goodness and mercy. When he laid down to sleep or he woke up in the morning, there it was. Goodness and mercy right there. Why should he fear? I believe that when he ducked around a corner or dotted into a cave, he saw them. Goodness and mercy was right there. David knew that he couldn't get away from God's spirit, that it was with him everywhere he went. And he penned that in the book of Psalm 139. And in the seventh verse, starting at the seventh verse, it reads this. He said, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wing of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me 
and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You know, God's mercy and his grace is there. Yesterday, today, and forever. God's grace, I believe, is so magnificent that it's hard for us to understand. But his grace and mercy abides with us. In the book of Lamentations, third chapter, in the 22nd through the 23rd verse, it says this. It says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassion fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You see, when we awake in the morning, there's grace and there's mercy. And it's new every morning. Satan would have us to believe that we blew it yesterday. He'd have us to believe that what we did last night, well, God can never forgive you of that. That's it. You did it. It's over. You're on the way to hell. But can I tell you that God's mercies are new every day? Can I tell you that when we wake up, all we have to do is say, Lord, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Forgive me. And God says, my mercies are with you. They're new today. They're new every day. You see, through our trials and disappointment, when the bills exceed the income, all we have to do is look over our shoulder. There it is. There's gracie. There is, there is goodness and, and mercy. When the doctor's report is bad, look over your shoulder. His goodness and mercy is still right there. All the days of our life. And David said, you know, when we come to the end of our life, he said, then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How great is that? Even after we get through all of these trials, we still have eternity with him. Grace and mercy is God's great love. It's free. It's not cheap. But it's free. But it costs Jesus everything. You see, nothing can separate us from God's love, his grace and mercy. Paul tells us in Romans, he said, nothing can separate us from the love of God. He said, listen, neither life nor death. He said, neither principalities or powers, neither angels or demons. He said, look, not things present or things to come, not height nor depth, not any creation can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And that, to me, is amazing. And it's something to be excited about because throughout the Bible we see that God's love and his mercy is there. Sometimes it's hard, I think, for us to really visualize God's mercy. It's hard for us to realize the immeasurable grace of God. It's such a wonderful thing. In our little finite brain, we compare it to certain things. But can I tell you this morning that there is nothing humanly in existence that we can compare to God's love. It just doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. But God's love is so great. 
I'm reminded of uh, uh, a story that all of you or some of you may already know, but I think it merits mentioning here this morning. It's a story that shows a father, an earthly father's love for his son. And this particular story is about uh, Dick and Rick Hoyt. And Rick was born to his parents with the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck and it cut off the blood and the oxygen to his brain. And so he was born with a condition of cerebral palsy. He had no use of his hands or his legs. He could not speak. And so the doctors advised the parents, why don't you just institutionalize him because he's going to be a vegetable uh, and it'd probably be best in an institution. And they said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're going to take him home and we're going to give him as much love as we can and we're going to raise him as a normal child. And so they did that. They took him home and they did the very best they could to raise Rick with all of the love that they could. And in doing so, uh, when they would sit him in a chair or put him down, they noticed that Rick's eyes would follow them around the room. And they came to realize, you know, there's something going on in there. It may not show physically, but there's something going on in there. So what they thought to do was to teach him as well as they could. They started teaching him the alphabets. And then they started putting little words on every item in the house and showing him those so that he would learn. Because they felt that he was, had an intelligence. It seemed like he would smile and he loved sports whenever there was a sports program. But they continued to work with him and then they felt that, you know, we need to find a way um, to get him to communicate back with us. So they sought out a group of skilled engineers to develop a computer that would allow him to communicate with them. And this being back in the early 70s where there was not the advancement in computers that we see today, but they sought to get Rick to have some type of computer that he can communicate. So they developed a computer. And this computer, the uh, cursor would scroll across the screen highlighting the various alphabets. And when it came to an alphabet that he wanted to use, they taught Rick to tap the mouse, which was attached to his wheelchair, tap it with his head and highlight uh, and print out that particular letter and then forming words. This was the beginning of his ability to communicate. His father telling the story said that, you know, I thought that the first thing that he would say would be, hi mom, hi dad, I love you mom, love you dad, but he didn't. He had become quite a sports fan and so the first words he typed out was, go Bruins. <laughs> he, 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 he was a Boston Bruins fan and uh, in that year, the uh, Bruins were competing for the Stanley Cup. And so um, that was his first word. But they continued to work with Rick and they taught Rick uh, several words. And eventually they tried to get him in school and they were able to get him into a school. Well, Rick went to school and he came home one day and there had been an athlete that was in an accident. And this particular athlete uh, within an accident, they, they sought to have a benefit uh, run for him, a five-mile run to benefit him. So Rick came home, and he typed in his computer to his father, Dad, I want to run in that race. 
his father, not a runner, and his father had heart trouble himself. So he saw the smile or the look on Rick's face and he decided to train for that race. Every day he trained, day after day after day, so that they can compete in the race. And when the time came, they did compete in the race. And they finished the race, not first, but not last. They were like second from the last, but they finished the race. <laughs> Rick and his father, and his father saw the joy on his face. So much so that they sought to go and compete in race after race after race. And over the years, Rick and his father competed in more than 1,100 races. What a, a showing of a father's love for his son. In those, they competed in 72 marathons. And a marathon is 26 miles. They also competed in 257 triathlons. A triathlon is swimming, biking, and running. And of those 257 triathlons, six of them were Ironman triathlons. Now, if you don't know what an Ironman triathlon is, tri uh, Ironman is 140 miles. And of those 140 miles, uh, uh, 2.4 miles is swimming, 112 miles is biking, and 26 miles is running. All of which is done in succession without a break and all completed under 17 hours. This was such an amazing showing of a father's love and dedication for his son so that his son would feel normal. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com. <laughs> 